Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties 2. This episode features one of the three guests on my hour-long NPR show, heard every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island, where it has broadcast continuously for 14 years. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know, because I care about people who care about cats, dogs, and other creatures who share our planet. I'm also the founder and director of the New York Dog Film Festival and the New York Cat Film Festival, which travel America and Canada supporting local animal welfare groups. I could not bring you this show without the support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian who's created a variety of litters to please any cat, as well as inventing clean protein cat foods based on the protein found in cats' natural prey. This show is also made possible with the generous sponsorship of Waruva, the family-owned foreman pet food company named after their rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa, where all their recipes in cans and pouches are human edible because they're made in a human food facility. Good enough for you to eat, but your cats won't appreciate that. I am so delighted to learn that there is a house call vet who can not only come to your home for your average or intense medical reasons, but for behavior most particularly. The Behavior Clinic for Cats and Dogs is in Northern Westchester, but Dr. Sarah Cutler will go anywhere kind of in the area if you have behavior issues that that need her, her practiced eye. Dr. Cutler, welcome to the show, and I'm very excited to meet you because people are quite at a loss for what to do when they have behavior issues they don't know how to solve And they certainly don't know how to identify a good dog trainer or cat behaviorist because there's really no uh, kind of gold seal for that, is there? I mean, there's there's certain organizations a dog trainer can belong to, but what their skills are in dealing with behavior issues is kind of uh, kind of murky, isn't it? It can be very murky, yes. Um, and you know, as many things in the in the pet dog and cat world, um, at least in the United States, there are a lot of people that can sell themselves as doing pretty much anything yes. And, yes. and get away with it. They can. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. So we, you know, as a veterinarian, when I, you know, graduated from vet school, I took an oath, um, which we all do, which says that. Uh, first, do no harm, um, and that is a principle that I stand by um, with my regular sort of veterinary medicine practice, as well as when counseling owners on helping with training and behavioral issues and anxieties. Is the very first thing we want is to not make any problem worse um, by coming in with rough handling um, or harsh training methods and things like that. So that's sort of my been my driving force to get into the field of behavior is trying to promote um, fear-free veterinary yes. handling, fear-free training, um, education of humans on what it, you know, what it means to take a cat into your home which is very close to their wild ancestors, um, or what it means to have a you know a, a dog with big teeth and um, you know who who has some normal genetic tendencies that sometimes don't 
coincide well with like what we humans want in our home. So that's, that's put very diplomatically what, and, and, yeah. and, 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 and correctly. I mean, there are dogs that are hardwired to chase and there's other yep. ones to, bree- mm-hmm. to, to, to herd and other ones to defend in the way exactly. that the dog might think of being a defender. What do you think is the most pressing reason that people reach out to you and find you? Does it fall in the <sighs> aggression area? We're talking doggies first. Or is okay. it yep. fear that they didn't understand was fear and they're misinterpreting it as aggression. Mm. Well, those, those are high on the list. Um, I, I'll tell you that what usually happens when people seek my help is there's an overt problem that has, you know, probably been brewing for a while yes. um, and it went unrecognized or, or, or poorly appreciated. And then there's an episode um, and the episode is usually something that's caused a lot of discomfort, and that could be the dog bit someone or the dog, for example, has such severe storm anxiety that maybe was slowly building up and no one really cared about it until the dog, you know, scrambled out the, the window and broke, broke out of the house or chewed the wall or, you know, peed on the yes. carpet or something. Yes. So a lot of the times the behavior problems um, are they, you know, they've been there, but they've gone maybe, you know, unrecognized. Um, and then it's an episode that'll say, oh my gosh, I really need help. Right. And, um, yes, aggression is a big concern. Um, and, um, and it gets, you know, people, a lot of other people in the field don't want to deal with it because everyone's nervous about, you know, liability and, um, you know, get in, people get scared for, you know, for good reasons. Um, but um, when you really try and sort of understand reasons for aggression, and by the way, I like to use the word uh, reactivity. I like that better more, too. Yeah, it's a little bit more of a neutral word. Um, and I spend a lot of time kind of explaining terminology and using and trying to use words that don't demonize the dog. Um, so reactivity just basically means any kind of behavior from a dog's point of, you know, when a dog is barking, growling, lunging, kind of looking, looking scary to move something away from them. It's distance requesting yes. behavior. Distance um, requesting. That's a great phrase. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, and most of the time, um, that behavior, although it looks very scary to us, humans, that behavior is actually reflecting a dog who is very scared themselves. Yes. They're threatened, they're suspicious, they're nervous, they're uneasy, they want, they're, they're doing everything they have in their toolbox to make it clear that they don't want that thing to get any closer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, the bigger the dog, the scarier it looks. Um, so, um, but most of the time, this is coming from a source of anxiety. Um, and just on that note, when you use the word guarding, um, there's a reason why, for example, German Shepherds, who for the most part are pretty high-strung, nervous dogs. That's Not right. all of them, it's, but many of them. Yes. That, that characteristic right there is what we humans have sort of taken advantage of to, because they're they're so trainable to be reactive, because they're they're nervous and suspicious of strange people, so it sort of goes full circle, right? So then yes. people 
are attracted to that behavior because they want to have a guard dog and they want to feel that their family is safe. Um, but then they're upset when the same dog, you know, bites the cousin that comes over because the dog doesn't know that the cousin's a cousin, right? The dog yeah. is, so, so there's a, so, so, you know, what the dog looks like is to us humans is often very different than what the dog is actually experiencing themselves. It's really well put. I, I rem- when you talk about trainers not wanting to deal with what is mistakenly called aggression, I'm I'm think of of Wanda, who is one of my Weimar honors, the only one I got as a puppy. Everybody, all the other Wimes have been from Wime Rescue at various ages. So I thought this is great, blank slate. I can just socialize the heck out of her and <laughs> expose her to everything. And this is going to be the piece of cake, like bomb-proof, <laughs> fabulous, stable. I'm cool in my own skin, dog. Not. She hit puberty, no. and it, it all changes. If she'd, you know, if you had adopted her at that age, you would have said, "Ooh, she must have had a terrible time. Ooh, she must have been attacked by a dog, hit by people, no, whatever no. it might be." And it wasn't. That's her nervous system. So she went to a puppy class. She didn't like it. She didn't want these yep. other dogs around her, coming at her, and she did all the things that, that she was asked to do. Even go through, you know, agility type, you know, mm-hmm, tubes and stuff. Mm-hmm. But she really wasn't comfortable there, and so I didn't push it. And then we got out in a field, and she drove away another dog. Now, some of them might say, gee, she mm. was going to attack the dog. No, she was driving it away. That was clear to me. Yeah. So I called up the person giving the puppy class, uh, and I said, I'd like to have some private sessions with you to work on her reaction to seeing other dogs. And she, and she said, oh, I don't do aggression. I'm like, excuse me? Yeah. <laughs> you don't do aggression. First of all, she didn't aggress. You know, it's exactly what yeah. you said. Yeah. Distance requesting behavior that someone misunderstands, even yeah. an accredited dog trainer says, no, I don't, I don't want to mess with that. I don't do right. aggression. But, but dog's behavior is a full toolbox, as you said. A dog that exactly. doesn't ever display that might be the world's most kickback lab or golden or right, even like a poodle. A resilient but, dog. Yeah, yeah, resilient, like emotionally so chill that they're okay with stuff going on around them, human machinery, other right. dogs. I think it's really great that you're there. And I hope that anyone listening that has issues with a dog and they're thinking, is this a problem? If you ask that, it's sort of like a drinking problem. If you ask if someone has a drinking problem, you already have pretty much acknowledged it because you asked. And if you think your dog has a behavior problem, then it does. And you're not going to solve it on your own because there are mysteries to it that a professional can help solve quickly and keep it from escalating. I bet you've rarely been called when somebody wants to, quote, unquote, nip it in the bud. Have you? I'd be happy for you if you did. Well, well, you know, that's interesting because that expression, um, that that sort of does stem from you know, this this um, belief that you can, say, cure a problem or right. fix a problem or correct right. it, right? So, oh, my dog is, you know, nervous when new children come to the home and my dog growls and I really need to nip this in the bud. Good I need point. to stop it. This yeah, is unacceptable right. behavior. Right. I don't like it. What do I do, right? And so, and, and so in that example, um, there's a lot of education that has to happen That's because... Right. Um, a, a correction, a tra- traditional correction in that context would probably make the dog a lot worse. So if Definitely. your dog growls mm-hmm. at a new child who enters the home, you need to say, oh, 
gee, this, my dog is uncomfortable. It's yes. communicating with yes. a growl. Yes. Um, we don't want to get mad at the dog because then we're going to start to add tension into the situation. The dog is feeling uncomfortable as it is. So you need to take that growl and you know, Respect get right it. in there and say, okay, so we're going to separate the dog from the new child. And no, we're not going to let the new child come up and pet the dog. And we're going to take the dog out for a walk, or we're going to, you know, give the dog a treat so that the dog sort of gets to associate, oh, the arrival of a new person means mom gives me a high value, you know, marrow bone or something. Yes. So it, you know, so it's, so so in other words, in answer to your question, I do have people that come and say, I need, I need, a, I need to fix it. And yeah. then I always sort of have a little sinking feeling in my stomach because it means I really need to sort of go extra on the education there, um, as opposed to maybe somebody like you who would come to me and say, gee, you know, my Weimaraner did this and, you know, I need help. I, I recognize I need help. But you're not you're not coming to have me put on like a prong collar, right? To, right. You know, hold your dog back and yank the dog's neck in order to so-called correct the problem, right? Or as, we or know as, that would right. Or as we say, to if you extinguish the growl and and punish right. or extinguish the growl in whatever way, we obviously are way against punishment these days. But you extinguish the growl, you're opening the door to a bite. Exactly. Because the growl is the warning, yeah. I mm -hmm. need space. So exactly. I guess, yeah, then you need to either have a lifestyle minus children if the dog is that <laughs> uncomfortable or give the dog total protection by not having yep. it in close proximity. It's never going to never, it's never going to feel 100% okay. The marrow bone will take some of the edge off, but you're never going to leave that dog out in a yard with three children running around. Absolutely. Ever. Absolutely. You know, Correct. and so I think that's uh, education is obviously a big part of what you do. Yeah. What about yeah. medication? I know that the the uh, the kind of the pendulum has swung back and forth mm -hmm. on that. The idea mm -hmm. that you would give in the in, back in the day, and even with kitties, and we should talk about them in a minute. The idea you would give Prozac to a dog to somehow make it happier, mm -hmm. cheerier, less anxious, less annoyed. Do you is that an idea that's gone out the window? Oh, no. Uh, in fact, um, I do prescribe, uh, in, uh, again, remember that in my practice, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm dealing with a high number of dogs with anxieties and phobias. Um, yes. So um, in my practice, I am using Prozac quite a bit. No um, kidding. That's great. You know, yes. Um, and, you know, people who have ownership of dogs are going to come to their vet appointments or the behavior appointments with their own backgrounds and their own experiences and their, you know, maybe their cultural beliefs about medication for right, humans. Right. And that all does spill down to, you know, medicating their dogs. Um, so I'm not a person who, you know, pushes drugs on people. I don't want to turn a dog into a vegetable. I don't want to change the dog's personality. And those are common concerns that people have. Interesting. However... Um, many, many times we've got such significant anxieties that are either genetic uh, and they've been there forever or they've been made worse by the environment. Uh, for example, a lot of my dogs, my patients that live in New York City and have severe noise sensitivity, you know, these, this is a quality of life issue for these dogs. Absolutely. Um, they, maybe they don't have a country home to go to or they don't have a 
you know, a terrace that's quiet, you know. So when we have those significant, you know, real quality of life issues, um, I do recommend medication. Um, the other the other time um, there, you know, and this is sort of the sad part of this interview is there are a great number of dogs that when they arrive at my doorstep have received um, fairly significant rough handling, um, maybe by previous owners, uh, maybe by trainers. Yep. Maybe the dogs have been sent to what so-called boot camp. Oh, God, those things um, frighten me. Yeah, and maybe, and, you know, and so sometimes the dog that I'm treating basically needs, like, serious rehab because of the human handling that it's received. And so maybe the dog started out a little anxious, maybe the dog started out with some issues, and maybe that's what led it to the rough handling. But then it's, you know, it's been treated um, with, with, you know, aversive yes. training techniques. Yes. They're, they're a mess. And so sometimes I am medicating dogs to kind of help them with the trauma that they have lived through. Wow. Um, so that's, that's, that's sad. That's the sad side of that. Yeah. Because in your, a lot of that, yeah, I'm sure in your mind's eye, you imagine that dog six months or a year earlier when mm-hmm. had the people known about you and understood about early intervention the dog would right. not have gone so far or may have had a previous owner. As I mean, there exactly. really are rehomed dogs that the people who had them probably didn't deserve them. Dr. Cutler, we have run out of time. I want to have a separate conversation with you about okay. cats because okay. they are such a, too, dif- such a them. different species <laughs> and, and so beloved by their people and often misunderstood. Dr. Sarah Cutler, owns the Behavior Clinic for Dogs and Cats in Westchester. She'll go into the city. She goes all around northern Westchester. I hope you don't need her, but if you do, we're very glad to have you out there on behalf of our dogs. Thank you, Dr. Cutler. Thank you, Tracy. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening. There are a few more special companies that make this show possible. I hope you will support their products because they stand behind my mission, which is to educate and inspire while entertaining. Earth Animal, which is privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, creates holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. They make many non-chemical products for the inside and outside of your pets, as well as innovative foods like No Hide and the Hybrid Dry Food Wisdom, which sometimes is all that my Blue Weimer runner Maisie will eat. My other sponsor is Cradle which makes CBD calming products to reduce stress for dogs using broad-spectrum CBD from U.S.-grown hemp, formulated with a proprietary blend of nutraceutical ingredients. My Wanda Weimaraner couldn't get through thunderstorms without their cradle melts. And I'm grateful to Evermore Pet Food, which is privately owned by two extraordinary women who cook dog food from the most pristine human edible ingredients and ship it to your door in frozen pouches. It is higher quality and more ethically sourced than my own food. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this one guest version of Dog Talk and Kitties 2, and we'll listen to other episodes sometime soon.